This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's the Friday edition. We've made it to another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you are listening to The Word to Stand Them for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, pretty much anything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. Once again, that's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, uh, the safest way for you to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, it's a weekend. We're all getting ready for a weekend at church tonight. I'm going to be teaching um, the book of Ephesians, actually. Um, the first, only the first four verses as we get into our verse-by-verse study earnestly. Um, and uh, on Sunday, I'll be beginning another book. It's 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, we will have a live service at 8.30, an in-person service, and then the other services will be live-streamed at our normal service times for second and third service, 10.15 and 11.59. So let's finish the week with your calls and with um, some good questions. Let's uh, go to the phones first right away. We've got our friend Ruben from Seguin on line one. Ruben, thanks for calling early. You're on the air. <laughs> yeah, I, I was waiting for you, anticipating for you to come on. Uh, I think I have a very good question. Um, A friend of mine came over today since I'm clear of the coronavirus. We kept our six six feet apart, uh, still social distance, even though we were inside the house. And we were just having a discussion about everything that's been going on and everything. But then we started talking about creation. And it brought to mind a book that I read a, a long time ago. It was a little brown book. I can't remember the name of it. But it alluded to the fact that this person who, who, and I wish I knew the name of the author because I bet you, you've read the book before and I bet you, but I don't know the name. But it alluded, it alluded that when God created the earth, that there was already an earth here, that he was walking like, or the Spirit of God was roaming already through a previous earth that had been, because in the beginning, uh, In Genesis, it says, when it talks about let the fruit, when he spoke to the fruit of the field, he said, let let the seeds and the fruit come forth, alluding to the fact that they were already there. He didn't say, let me place them there. And he kind of alluded to the fact that they were already there. That's why he said, let them come forth. And then the waters were already there. And that's why he said, let there be land and let the waters, let the land divide the waters and so on and so forth. And then we jump to the book of Revelations, where he says that God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And then we started just talking, not debating, but talking. What did he mean by that? Did he, did he literally mean a whole new planet? And then plus, if he makes a whole new planet, will, the, will there be a moon, sun, stars, other galaxies? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Ruben, let me start at the end, because um, there's going to be the need for a new earth, because Peter says that this earth is going to to wax away, melt away. 
there's going to be a, a sort of an internal combustion and all of this is going to go away. And so obviously there's going to be a need for a new earth. And when that new earth comes, it's going to be perfect. Now, the, the person you were talking to today about creation, he has Genesis 1 completely messed up. Um, everything that was created was created from nothing. Ex nihilo is the frame, and uh, or is the phrase, and the idea there is that God made everything that is from nothing that was. Only God can do that. Now, when he made Adam, he made Adam out of something he already created, the dust of the earth. But make no mistake, there was no earth, there was no lights, there was no anything. Everything was made from nothing. And the value of that for us is simply that God created everything to be perfect. And after he gave us the land and he said, let the seed grow, uh, he put, he put, uh, uh, he said, let there be light before there was actually the sun, the moon and stars. Now, in the end, there won't be sun, moon and stars because Jesus himself will be the light. We know that. Revelation tells us that. But um, don't, don't let people confuse you. When God created everything from nothing, it was brand new. And it was perfect, and it was absolutely magnificent. So there wasn't an earth before that, and then another earth sprang from that. Genesis is just trying to describe the process that God used for creation. Remember, you can go to Genesis 1-1, and then you get some detail in Genesis chapter 2. And I think maybe your friend is confused because in Genesis chapter 2, we're not getting another creation account. We're just getting some detail regarding the creation account. Genesis chapter 1 is just, this is what happened. God said this, and it was. And it's very important when you get to Genesis chapter 2 to understand it's not another creation account. It's simply filling in some of the details uh, from the uh, for, uh, of the Genesis chapter 1 account. Reuben, thanks for the question. It was a good one. I appreciate it very, very much. Let me go to a question from Mick from our email inbox. And Mick, I love your question. Mick says, regarding those who suffer from Down syndrome, are mentally handicapped, etc. I've heard people say to or of them, that's just how God made you. It is true that we're formed by God in the womb. He knows everything about us from the womb. But I believe these things to be a result of a fallen world and not that God in his infinite wisdom designed someone to be handicapped or to suffer from a deformation. In the same sense, when dealing with a stubborn, willful child, some might say, well, that's just how God made him or her. I would argue that no, that's just the sin nature flourishing. What are your thoughts on these matters? Where do we draw the line between God made me this way uh, for he formed me in the womb, and we live in a fallen world. This is a result of sin or our sin nature. Um, God, I think we sometimes forget this. We get so general in discussing these kind of things that we do a disservice to the creation account. God only formed two people. He made Adam from his own hand from nothing, the same elements that make up the dust of the earth or the elements that make up the human body. So from the dust of the earth, from dust we came to dust we will return. And in that case, God made Adam, and then he took Adam after putting him into a deep sleep, and out of his side brought forth Eve. From that point forward, Cain, Abel, and every child ever born since then, those people were born by the process God created. Now, obviously, in the beginning... I'm sorry, I had to clear my throat. In the beginning, there was um, no sin. The, the, everything would have been perfect. All, all of the creation through the normal birthing process would have been um, perfect. Those people would have been without defect. However, we know that didn't happen because sin entered very early. Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. So, after thousands of years of a fallen world, after suffering the effects of sin, the truth is that there are people who are born with all kinds of different handicaps. And to say to somebody, that's just how God made you, is to blame God recklessly because it's simply not true. This is a result of the birthing process, a process 
that has been corrupted. Remember, giving birth was supposed to be easy before the fall. Not so afterwards. And so we've got to understand that, yeah, we have a sin nature, yes, because of the way this world has been perverted from God's original purpose. Uh, there are terrible things that happen. There are stillborn babies. We've got ladies in our church who have miscarried a whole bunch of babies, and it breaks everybody's heart, but that's not God's fault. Now, to say that's just the way God made you is to misrepresent God. So you're right. These things are a result of a fallen world. Not that God said, you know, I'm going to make this baby. This, you remember in the Gospel of John, I think it's chapter 9, when um, uh, there was a man born blind, and Jesus' disciples looked at Jesus and said, well, who, who, who sinned, this man or his parents? Assuming that because somebody was blind, God was punishing them. And Jesus said, no, neither this man nor his parents sinned. That's not why he's blind. But that the glory of God might be revealed and and it wasn't God made him blind so God could show off it was just the result the glory of God Jesus Christ would be revealed in the healing or the reversal of that a great picture of what he came to do on the cross so when somebody's handicapped when they suffer from some sort of abnormality that's not God's fault at all that's ours now I love the last paragraph in your question um um, when dealing with a stubborn, willful child, I've had people say to me over the years, well, I just, God made me with a temper. Yeah, but Romans chapter 6 makes it really clear that sin shall not be our master because we're not under the law, but under grace. Sin, in King James English, should no longer have dominion over you, and yet we allow the fact that, well, this is the way I am. I've had people with a, 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 a real high sex drive say, well, you know, if God didn't want me to have sex, he should have made me this way. That's simple sin, and it's giving in to our sin nature, and it's really important that we never carelessly and recklessly blame God for those kind of things. I wish, I really and truly wish that there was no um, need ever or no cause ever for people to be born Anyway, other than perfect, but the reality is we look around and we see the results of sin in the world for thousands and thousands of years. And the good news, Mick, is that one day, one day, God is going to change all of that. And those of us who are his will be perfect, will be left to walk in a perfect world. Good question, Mick. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to line one and talk with Ray from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Thanks for taking my call. I'm shocked you called in the first half hour of the program. Well, it was the first 15 minutes, <laughs> but I've been on hold for a while. <laughs> well, I'm happy, at Ray. Um, at any rate, uh, I've, I've been wrestling with this uh, by myself and I wonder what 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 prompted you to get tested you and Paula but on further down um, that's not my main question but that was okay. part of it but um, as a as a uh, older than you <laughs> Christian type person, um, what is the responsible way? Because uh, I, I I'm aware that uh, uh, people have uh, no symptoms and they can pass it on, and uh, the the virus, I mean. And mm-hmm. I just wondered what where 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 do you where do you find direction in? Should I get tested or? What do I have to do? And I'll I'll just let you play with that a second, and I'll listen on the Thanks. radio. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate the call very very much. Uh, these are these are difficult questions. You know, uh, Paul and I uh, we were symptomatic, but we didn't know it. 
Um, I, I lost my sense of taste and smell, and I'd been watching the news, and I'd never heard anybody say that the loss of, of, of smell or the loss of, of taste uh, was a symptom. And otherwise, I felt perfect, didn't have any problems at all. Um, uh, what prompted us to get tested in the first place was when people here started testing positive. When some people got sick and they got tested um, um, we'd been hanging around those people, so certainly uh, we wanted to be sure so that we could then stay away from people, sort of lock ourselves in a quarantine and uh, not impact anybody else. But honestly, it's much harder than than the instructions that were given because um, uh, a lot of people are asymptomatic. Now, there's so much information out there that has contradicted other information that's out there that we don't know. I don't really see a need to be tested unless you're symptomatic. That's what they've been saying from the very beginning. And and it's only when the news media picked this up that the long lines at all the testing centers started. And the problem is all of the positives out there are people have been tested three and four and five times, and all of those count as new positives if, in fact, they're positive. So um, I don't think anyone needs to be tested until they're symptomatic. Uh, I realize that for some of us, we just want to know. I'm one of those people that wanted to know. Um, but at the same time, um, if we've been around people, we've been exposed, then we need to withdraw and quarantine. But those are individual choices. Now, uh, I got retested, Ray, as you know, and I was retested in the sense that uh, I had a doctor's appointment that I had to break when I tested positive. And uh, they told me, well, before he can come and reschedule the doctor's appointment, we need a, uh, a negative test. So I had to get retested. But I don't think anybody else has to get retested. After 14 days, uh, the virus is gone. Um, if you've gone three days at the end of those two weeks, if you've gone three days with no symptoms, then you're clean and you're out and your body has antibodies and you're protected from it. That means we can't spread it to others either. And how long that's for, nobody seems to know, but I think we just have to use our wisdom. We have to listen to what people are advising. At the same time, we've got to be discerning because the information out there and the, the the fear factor is just overwhelming. So, Ray, that was our story, and that's why we did it. Thank you. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Glenn on line one. Glenn, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, Pastor Ron, I appreciate you. And I just have a uh, – my oldest daughter is in the nursing profession and just being mm-hmm. overwhelmed with the uh, this virus outbreak and the distress and everything. And the other day – after talking with my granddaughter, I was prompted to send her a message, my daughter. And in the message, uh, I asked, I, I suggested to her and encouraged her just to, in the moment when those things come so strong and hard on her, that she just thinks of the Lord and prays. Mm-hmm. And she's not a born-again Christian. Uh, she's a, a, a devout Catholic. And in talking with my wife, I, I got to thinking, well, does God answer prayers from people that are not uh, have not accepted Jesus and are born again? And was my encouragement off base? Yeah, good good question. I, I appreciate the the wrestling match that you had to have with this, Glenn. Uh, unfortunately, God cannot hear prayers from unbelievers, and it's not because He doesn't love them. We know, for God so loved the world. But the reason he can't hear their prayers is because they haven't been granted access into the kingdom of God. They haven't been adopted into the family. So the only prayer that God can hear from an unbeliever is the prayer that says, Lord, save me a sinner. Just save me. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And and God, of course, hears that prayer. And then instantly you're in the family of God. So I think it's really important, Glenn, if you get the opportunity to speak with her, um, uh, it's it's a great witnessing opportunity at this point for you to say, uh, I gave you some counsel the other day that really wasn't accurate. I did it with a right heart, and I, I my heart bleeds for you because I know you're in a dangerous place, and I know all of this stuff is overwhelming you. 
Um, but, 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 sweetheart, here's what you need. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And for Catholics especially, Glenn, I always go immediately into Jesus' conversation with the most religious man in all of Israel, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was Israel's teacher. He was the most famous teacher in Israel. Uh, definite article, you are Israel's teacher, and you don't know these things? And Jesus told him this, look, and I'm going to paraphrase, all your religion has no value. Keeping the law, knowing about the law, has no value. There's only value if you do it, and that's why I say to you, you must be born again. And Glenn, your daughter needs Jesus. You know that, and you're praying for her. But we don't want to give them any false hope that a religious prayer or a religious relationship with God has any value. So a uh, great opportunity for you to continue to pray for her, but also to share your heart with her. And one of the things I've told people in my life who are so, so close to me who aren't yet born again, I like to tell them, look, I can't imagine heaven without you. It just breaks my heart to even think, to even think that you're not going to be there. And often Catholics will protest, well, I'm, I, I, I believe in God. Yeah, but you don't know him any more than Nicodemus knew him. Now, Nicodemus, and here's the good end of the story, Nicodemus later believed. At first was a secret disciple, but he believed and he's going to be in heaven. And I trust that your daughter will be in heaven as well. Let me say one other thing about nurses. We've got a bunch of nurses in our uh, church who are also actually in COVID units uh, on um, in, in hospitals. And they're exposed all the time. And you know what? They're such courageous, brave women. And one man in our case. They're so brave because they understand that this is their responsibility. And yes, they're putting themselves at risk, and yes, they are afraid, but they do every day what Jesus would do if he was there. Jesus touched lepers. Nobody touched lepers when Jesus was there. So God bless your daughter. Tell her that I'm going to be praying for her, and um, um, you now have a chance to share your heart. Thanks, Glenn. Let's go to San Leandro, California, and talk with Tanya. Tanya, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Papa. I, I've been. I have some more questions from you know just doing some chat and looking at people who are asking questions. And I would like to know: um, Can you please give me some with all this uh, COVID uh, uh, panic? Um, and speaking of vaccines. What do you tell a parent about if they say, should I, I have two questions, uh, and I'm sure we'll have to go after the break, but um, about okay. vaccines and what the Bible says about if your child should be vaccinated, which I know it doesn't say specifically, but I would like some scriptures for that. And then secondly, this girl I do know, um, she's a new believer in Christ, and she was talking about that she's been experiencing very odd things in her home um, she's there alone, but things fall. Uh, it's not earthquakes, you know, lights turn on, waters turn on, and she's very trustworthy, Papa, and, and she was uh, deep in the clutches of alcoholism and drugs, and she's since mm-hmm. uh, been born again, new believer, but she's very frightened, and, and I don't really know how to talk about the, I guess you would call it paranormal, and, and what the best way is to, uh, of course I told her, stay on the Word of God. That, that's, that's our protection. Mm-hmm. We have to know. But, but I also know that we're no match for the devil. And so I would really appreciate some guidance. And, and her prayer, a prayer for her, her name is Rachel, and I really uh, covet your prayers for her and just protection of her family and as well as herself. I mean, she's, it was very difficult for her to tell me. She thought I was going to think she was crazy, but I, I know <laughs> in my heart she's telling me the truth. Yeah, Tanya, thank you. I can do that. And I will get to the full answer on the other side of the break, so keep listening. Um, I'll start with the first one. Um, we're inside of two minutes right now. Um, you know, there's no scripture that says, uh, thou shalt take a vaccine. 
Um, uh, but the vaccines, you know, we have a whole subculture that's anti-vaxxers, um, and, and they're putting other people at risk. This is, this is truly one of those areas where you can say to love your neighbors yourself. You're going to be exposed to people your whole life. We need to be vaccinated. Uh, there's a difference between hysteria and science. Now, I think we have, with this COVID-19, I think sometimes we've kind of crossed the line from science to hysteria, and a lot of the science is hysteria. But when it comes to vaccinations, we need to be vaccinated against diseases. It's a thing to do to help um, uh, our, our children grow and cope. And, and especially with this COVID-19, there's three promising um, um vaccines right now that are all of them being fast-tracked and i think if we're going to put a dent in this thing it's going to be because there is a vaccination available and i think we need to do it and even as i say that there'd be no vaccine is the mark of the beast we who are christians we need to be more reasonable in these areas i'm going to come back to this because i'm not quite done and uh, i'll talk about rachel on the other side of the break. We've got 30 minutes left in our week. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at pastorronkslr at gmail.com. That's pastorronkslr at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final half hour of the week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I want to get back to... Um, Tanya's questions. Um, uh, I, I covered the, the the vaccination question, I think. But but one thing I want to say: uh, it, it is impossible. Uh, if you would never go on the internet, it's impossible to be anti-vaccination. It really is. We who are Christians, we need. I'm sorry. Uh, we need to be level-headed about things. Not get dragged into conspiracy theories, not get dragged into to, to other people's movements, other people's ideas. Um, we need to be good citizens and being vaccinated, having our children vaccinated is part of that. People are going to say, well, no, that's where autism comes from. It, that, that's simply bad, bad medicine. There's just no demonstration, no proof of that at all. Not only are the vaccines safe, but uh, we need to care for our own children and for the lives of other children as well. So that's the first question. Now, with regard to your friend Rachel Tanya, uh, it is not at all unusual, especially when people, I was going to ask you and you, you gave me the information uh, anyway, but but uh, especially from people that come from drug backgrounds or or have been alcoholics, um, or if they have been um, Satan worshippers, anything like it, it's not at all unusual for there to be odd occurrences going on around them all the time. You know, when when somebody who belonged to the devil comes to Christ, the devil's angry. He wants them back. And he knows the buttons to push. And so your answer to her was right. She needs to be in the Word. She needs to be with Jesus. I mean, a conscious awareness of the presence of the Lord. But to have things falling or to have lights going on and off, um, that, that's not at all unusual. Satan certainly has that kind of power. And I, I like to tell people like Rachel that, you know, Satan's like the big bed wolf. He can huff and he can puff and he can threaten to blow your house down. But now your house is built by the rock. It's built on the rock, but it's built by the rock. And and Satan can threaten and he will. He can try to terrify you and he will. 
but we've got to know who we are in Christ. Now, maybe you can encourage her to tune in to the Ephesians studies that begin in earnest tonight. I did introduction to Ephesians last week, but, but tonight I'm actually getting into the verse-by-verse study. Uh, encourage her to, to just follow on, because the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is all about what God has done for us. These are the things that we can count on, the things that have already been accomplished, things that Satan can do nothing about. So tell your friend that she's not crazy, These are things that happen. The enemy that used to control her life no longer does, and he's angry. So here's what you do. You just let him know that every time you're a little bit afraid, you're going to run to Jesus. And that's what you do. You know, when I deal with nightmares, I often will say, um, 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 you know, Jesus, I don't want to. I don't want to deal with that. You, you deal with it. You protect me. And she can do that. In His presence, there's peace, there's joy, there's strength. And the enemy's going to try to discourage that. You might also recommend to her the Bible studies that I did in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm not there yet, obviously. We're just starting again in earnest tonight, but they are online at calvarysa.com. And Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, deals with the way that we fight spiritual battles. So she's in the spiritual battle, that's for sure. But she needs to expect that those battles are going to be there, and Jesus is the one who's protecting her. I'll be praying for Rachel, Tanya. Thank you very, very much for the call. Here is my next question. It comes from Zena. Is it okay for a man, in parentheses she wrote husband, to listen to women teachers with me online? Of course it is, Zena. The only thing that isn't okay is for a woman to be a pastor in a church. It's that simple. But there are wonderful, wonderful women teachers. And um, if, if you're being blessed and you want to ask your husband, sit and listen to this great Bible study, by all means, it's okay for a man to listen to women teachers with me online. I live with a woman teacher, and there's a whole bunch of times when Jesus is speaking to my heart, it sounds like it's coming through her voice. So, yeah, it is perfectly fine for her, uh, for your husband to listen to uh, women Bible teachers. Here is a question from Tricia. She said, Pastor Ron, is there any harm in practicing yoga? Uh, Tricia, not generally. Um, uh, yoga, of course, is based on uh, Eastern spirituality, which isn't really spirituality at all. Um, and, and we don't want to get into it. We don't want to, to meditate. We don't want to do mantras. Um, a biblical meditation is right, but, but in, in, in an Eastern sense. Um, we, we certainly don't want to put ourselves under the authority of the yoga teacher um, who's going to have all these crazy new age ideas. But yoga in and of itself is just really, really good, beneficial, healthy stretching. And there's a lot of value in that. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's any harm at all as long as you are focusing on Jesus and not on the stuff that the yoga teachers will tell you to focus on. Enjoy your yoga, Trisha. Here's a question that I honestly haven't had for probably six or seven years. It's anonymous. Can I have your thoughts on the prayer of Jabez? Now, for those of you who don't even remember the prayer of Jabez, it was a one of those fads that went sweeping through the church a uh, long time ago now, and it was a little book was written on it, and that book started selling, and people are claiming the enlarging of their territories and all that stuff. Um, it, it was one of the most convoluted um, eisegesis studies of one verse. This is a man who's mentioned one time in the Bible. And people are making whole doctrines, rebuilding their whole lives. So Anonymous, the prayer of Jabez in the Bible is mentioned uh, in the Chronicles. It's mentioned as an afterthought. And there's certainly nothing that Jabez prayed that is relevant to us. So so it, it's something with with no value at all. If you want 
to pray and make sure that your prayers are going to be heard and answered, then look at the prayers of Jesus. Look at the prayers of the Apostle Paul. When we get later into the book of Ephesians, not this week, but probably two weeks from tonight, uh, the Apostle Paul's prayers are absolutely magnificent. His prayer in the first chapter of Colossians has been a life changer for me. Jesus' model for prayer in the Gospel of Matthew um, radically changed my prayer life the first time I taught through it. So if you really want some direction on prayer, the Old Testament saints, Daniel in, in particular, and Isaiah, pray those prayers and apply them to you. We are starting um, corporate prayer back up tomorrow here at Calvary Chapel. It's 9.30 every Saturday morning. Uh, and we get room to social distance and do all the things that we're supposed to do. But um, I'm going to start off tomorrow with a prayer um, out of Second uh, Chronicles chapter 6 where Solomon uh, is praying to the Lord uh, just as he's dedicating the temple that he just built. And it's a prayer that is so much value for us individually and so much value for us as a church corporately. Those are the prayers that you want to focus on, Anonymous, if in fact you want your prayers to be answered, not on the prayer of Jabez. Just to mention, Jabez, we get to heaven, we're going to meet Jabez. He's going to say, wow, I never knew I'd be so famous. And yet that's exactly the way things are. Thanks for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's our next question from Kent. He says, my question is about House Bill 666 regarding coronavirus testing and training. I worry that this is from the devil and we should resist. Now, Kent, there's a lot of people that might argue that our government and our governors, many of them are serving the devil. But uh, this isn't the 666 of the Bible. This isn't taking the mark of the beast. Um, the, the testing, the training, uh, further the vaccines that are coming. You don't have to worry about this stuff. Um, you know, when people take the mark of the beast, uh, they're going to do it willfully. They're going to do it knowing that they're shutting the door forever on God, uh, uh, pledging their allegiance to the man that we call the Antichrist. So we need, this is another one of those crazy things where we have to have uh, an appropriate balance in our theology, understanding the context and the time all these things are going to happen. So don't worry about House Bill 666 being from the devil and this is some sneaky trick. Um, that's internet stuff, not stuff in reality. So um, don't resist. I haven't even read House Bill 666. I only saw another mention of it. Um, so I don't know what it all involves, but certainly doesn't have anything to do, Kent, with um, with the Antichrist uh, and uh, you know us taking a stand. I'm not going to be tested. I'm not going to be um, vaccinated. Those kind of things. Um, as Christians, it's our obligation to do what we can to stay healthy enough to serve. Heather makes a statement. She said, Pastor Ron, I believe the rapture of the church happens at the last trump, the trumpet judgments of Revelation chapter 8, verse 11. Heather, technically that would make you a mid or pre-wrath um, uh, rapture believer. Um, uh, there's nothing... Uh, heretical about that, but you need to understand that the the last trumpet uh, from First Corinthians chapter fifteen verse fifty one uh, is a symbolic trumpet. It's a call to readiness. Uh, it, it sort of conjures up images of war, and they would have their. We did it. Armies have done it throughout history, uh, and they would communicate through bugle signals or trumpets and. And they would know how many blasts and what was played, whether or not to retreat or to move forward or to attack. Well, this is a call to readiness. And it has nothing whatsoever to do, that figurative trumpet, with the literal trumpet judgments of Revelation chapter 8, verse 11. And that's the problem with you. And you've got all kinds of other problems because that would mean that Christians would be here during the first half of the Great Tribulation, when clearly the wrath of God is poured out, and as I've said so many times on this program, God cannot pour out in His wrath on those of us who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus took God's wrath for us. 
Paul says we're not appointed unto wrath but unto salvation. Jesus said we should pray that we be counted worthy to escape all these things. And he was talking about the judgments in the Great Tribulation. So, um, again, there's nothing heretical about your position. It's wrong, but, but there's nothing heretical about it. And the First Corinthians 15 trumpet and the trumpet judgments uh, are not connected at all. They have nothing to do with one another. So thank you very much for that. Let's go to our friend Jimmy from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Okay, hey Pastor Ron, um, I was looking up. I, I punched in this wrong scripture, and but actually, I was trying to punch in uh, uh, Jeremiah twenty three two. But I came in, um, and uh, no, I was trying to punch in three Jeremiah three twenty two, and it says, "Return, uh, what people I will backsliders." Yeah, oh yeah, return people I will. Well, I can't even remember what I wrote. Backslide. <laughs> Yes, and then, but then I said Jeremiah twenty three two. It is therefore, those say that the Lord God Israel against the shepherds who who uh, something they did with their people who have scattered and their flock and driven them away. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I got the first first reference three twenty two. What was the second reference? Jeremiah twenty three two. Jeremiah 23.2. Okay, I got him. This is what the Lord says to the shepherds who tend my people because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them. I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. Uh, Jimmy, is your question the difference between the two passages? Yeah. So, so, that that but really I want to ask you about Jeremiah twenty three two. They're talking about the preachers, right? That they they didn't yeah. preach the word right or something. Yeah, false, false teachers. Jeremiah twenty three is one of the most frightening chapters in all of our Bible for for people who teach the word because this is God's heart towards false teachers, and and uh, this this chapter in Jeremiah twenty three. It's all about the utter condemnation that they're going to experience. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. It, it's amazing that I just ran into that scripture and I was like, oh. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. All right, Pastor Ron, you have a good weekend. And, and I, want, I just want, I, I just felt the Holy Spirit tell me this. But, um. I'm asking, dear Jesus Christ, please heal Pastor Ron's eyesight and and make it better. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Oh, Jimmy, God bless you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. You know, uh, Jeremiah is is uh, interesting. To, uh, it's a great book. It's it's if you're looking for goosebumps, Jeremiah is not the not the book to read. But um, just the the. the difference between the two verses that Jimmy brought up. In 322, um, God says, return faithless people, I will cure you of backsliding. And then the people respond, yes, we will come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Now that happened, it happened in time and space, but it's also going to happen at the end, Zechariah chapters 12 and 14, talk about that time when Jesus appears in in, in this cloud's and the people of Israel look at his wounds and say, where did you get these wounds? And he says, they got them in the house of my friends. There's always a remnant. There's always people who return. And I think this is a good word that Jimmy brought us for a lot of people out there who have let this virus quarantine mess that we're living through sort of diminish their walk with the Lord. And Jesus is saying, return to me. I'll fix you. And then all you got to do is respond as the people of Israel are eventually going to respond. Yes, we will come to you for you are the Lord, our God. And God's arms are open wide to you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry that he's going to be angry at you. All you got to do is come back to him. And so many, too, too many in these days, because we're afraid, because we've gotten out of the routine of church, because we've gotten out of our routines of spending time with the Lord every day, because we're afraid of just surviving instead of thriving and doing the work God's called us to do, the enemy's taken advantage of that. 
didn't happen all at once, but it happens over and over and over to the point where we almost don't even recognize that we are the backsliders. God says, you know, I'm not angry. Just come back. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And I love when Paul writes to Timothy that even when we are faithless, he, God, is faithful. That's a great, great promise. Jimmy, thank you very much. And I appreciate that prayer more than you know. Here's a question from Frank. To believe in the rapture means you think Jesus is coming three times, while the Bible says it's only two times. Why do people believe this? Well, Frank, you're misrepresenting what those of us who believe in the rapture really believe. We don't think Jesus is coming to her three times. You're right. The Bible is crystal clear that Jesus is going to come twice. He's already come once. Imagine what a shock that will be when he comes a second time for Jews who are still waiting for him to come, and he's going to basically show them and say, hey, I've already been here, but now I'm coming in power and great glory. So he's only coming twice. Revelation chapter 19. And then, of course, when Jesus was born as a baby was the first time. But here's the thing. We who believe that the Bible teaches the rapture of the church, Jesus doesn't say he's coming to earth for us. He says that we're going to be caught up in the air to be with him. He will meet us in the air. Jesus said, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Started out by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he says this, if it weren't so, I would have told you. And so he's now seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. He's already prepared the place for us. He did that by dying on the cross, by giving us access to heaven. And because he's done that, that place has now been prepared. And in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be caught up to be together with the Lord in the air. He's not coming to earth. We're coming to him. And in that nanosecond, we'll be in the presence of the Lord. So that's only two visits to earth. But the rapture is us going to meet Jesus in the air so that he can receive us as his own. That's when we're going to marry him. Frank. So um, try a little better to understand what people really believe before you attack what they believe. I not only believe in the rapture, it is the blessed hope, the Apostle Paul says. It's the thing that every day I want to have happen more than anything else. And when I'm convinced, well, it's probably not going to happen today, Lord, so let's be about your business, winning other people to Jesus Christ. We're inside five minutes now. Jennifer says, Pastor Ron, on what basis will people be judged when they stand before God? Well, Jennifer, a lot of people misunderstand this. You know, we think, well, well, if we're not perfect, we're going to go to hell. Um, that's true, but you see, Jesus makes us perfect. So the only basis that we will be judged when we stand before God, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The basis upon which we will be judged is, what do we do with Jesus? You remember, Jennifer, that Jesus said there's only one sin that's unforgivable, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And he said that to religious leaders, people who the world would think certainly are saved, they're the most religious people, the, the, the experts in the law of God. But they were accusing Jesus of doing miracles by the power of the devil. And that's when Jesus, and I'm going to take some liberties with this, he said, uh-oh, you better be careful here. You're getting really close to a place where your heart is so hard. And that's why he tells them there's only one sin that can't be forgiven, the unpardonable sin, and that is the rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit who came to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And Jennifer, if any of us die in that condition, then we're going to be told to depart because he never knew us. That's the only basis. You know, people think, well, uh, are homosexuals going to be judged? Or uh, The answer is, 
only going to be judged for one thing. Nobody goes to hell for being a homosexual. Nobody goes to hell for being a drug addict or a drunk. You go to hell because sin separates us from a holy God. And since Jesus is the only answer for sin, Jennifer, that's the one question, the only question. What did you do with my son? If we know him, if we believe, if we've been born again, he will say, enter into the joy of your Lord. If not, if we're not born again, doesn't matter how much we know about him, he'll say, depart from me, you doer of iniquity, I never knew you. Good question. Thank you, Jennifer. A little over one minute. Let me see if I got a one-minute question. Uh, here's a one-minute question I can take. This is from Curtis. He says, do you think there is too little or too much emphasis on the end times, um, on Jesus returning? Um, Curtis, I don't think there can be too much emphasis. I think we can get carried away, and I think our emphasis can be sort of out of balance, and we look at everything through that view. We can open a newspaper, read uh, the newspaper, or, or watch the, the, the evening news and see things, and then we can immediately try to make connections. I think that's an unhealthy emphasis, but there's never a possibility of having too much emphasis on the return of Jesus Christ. He's coming. I keep reminding people of that almost every day and we need to be ready and if we focus on that moment when we're going to see Jesus again then we're going to live our lives differently we're going to make better choices so there's um, certainly not too much Uh, I think often there is way too little Jesus is coming and it could be today Hey, we're at the end of our week. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate the calls and the prayers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back here on AM 630 The Word at 4 o'clock on Monday. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.